sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. This isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Welcome back to That UFO Podcast. We're carrying on with Tim McMillan from our interview. If you're listening on the Patreon, Apple Premium, Spotify Premium, you probably heard that a few minutes ago. You like to listen all the way through. If you're listening on the free feeds, thanks for coming back. This has been out about a week later. Tim, we finished up talking about anti-neutrinos. We had covered Chris Mellon, his article on the US Air Force, kind of calling them out. And we touched on different satellite systems. A couple of things I want to touch on before we get to listener questions, of which we've got a varied topic and range as always. Tim, um, you very recently worked on a series, Devices of Unknown Origin. And that was going to be a four-part series. Now, parts one, two, and three all came out over over a staggered period. Now, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going back to before before the summer last year. Yeah, it was uh, right in the end of May, the, the week leading up to uh, the big ODNI report. Yes, we released that, those. that yep. was it. Um, mm-hmm. And great series, great articles. We covered it in detail on the podcast. Part four, however, has never been released. And this is something a few people got in touch with me about. You mentioned... Uh, off the cuff uh, on the part one that there was going to be this new part four i'm got a lot of parts now isn't there part one of the podcast interview um, <laughs> you mentioned part four of that series was coming out so what's why the delay uh, and what can we expect in part four sure yeah well the, the delay is definitely uh was never by design per se uh other than uh, you know i've told people i'm um, other than to aggravate people like I'm George C. Martin with the, the you know, the Game of Thrones series there where he's I think he still has to finish two more books, uh, even though the, the TV show is finished. So we all know what's going to happen, George. Just write it out. Um, here I am complaining to him and I'm, I'm equally as guilty here. Uh, and so it was never by design per se, but it was a lot of um, there was original direction that I was going to go with kind of closing that series out. And then I, I didn't feel like there was going to be enough closure, if that made sense, because with that series, you know, part one uh, went really in depth with a case going back to the 1960s uh, and an eyewitness there, that, uh, an event that was really, it wasn't, I won't say unknown, but, but very little known and um, involved in the U.S. Navy, but it's very much like the, the Nimitz events. So this was something where we had radar tracks and it went on for multiple days. And Ryan Graves' thing, we brought it more into the more recent events with the Roosevelt. And then with part three, we, we kind of covered into, you know, what are we doing about this? By diving, you know, having some exclusive interviews with uh, former Secretary Ray Mabus of the Navy and digging deep into Lou Elizondo's background, that kind of thing. And so part four was always supposed to be kind of what does all three of these really mean? And I thought I had a good grip of how we were going to go with that. And uh, 
it's as much like any anybody can that's been involved in this topic for any length of time can probably appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you you think you've reached some sort of hill or conclusion, uh, it changes. And so, I, you know, there's a reason that I don't put out stuff all the time. Like I'm not writing stuff every week is because I try to put out quality stuff. And so we kind of put that up, started working on some stuff that, that uh, to add to that. Now, I'll tell you tentatively. Yeah, so, yeah, we, we, hopefully we won't be here next year. And you saying, so Tim, part four, people <laughs> yeah. keep... Um, uh, and, and just so everybody knows this joking goes on inside the debrief. So, you know, like Steve McDaniel and, and MJ and Mike and those guys, whenever I'm like, yeah, I'm working on this or like, is it part four? Um, so they equally give me a hard time, but tentatively, I think we're, we're looking at, um, you know, I'm looking at trying to finish out part four and including it with, uh, kind of a special project we got going on. That's, that's a little too early to, to put out there and, and it's technically, it, it is a debrief project, but it is not my project. So I don't want to say more than one of my uh, colleagues ha- wants me to say right now. But but we definitely have something in the works that uh, hopefully I think will it, it will be specific uh, to the UAP UFO topic, and, and hopefully it'll be something really cool, bring something new to the to the subject that, that people are going to like. And right now, again, you know, alternatively, I think we're targeting that kind of. Uh, something to come out uh, mid-summer or, you know, early mid-summer time frame. So let's say July, August, September, at the latest time frame. So again, a lot of things are fluid right now with that, but that is where we're looking to uh, both include the part four and then also hopefully will we'll be a lot of other stuff that's uh, frankly should surpass even part four. <laughs> a lot of interesting stuff that... Uh, I have, I have enjoyed what I have read thus far, and I'm looking forward to to more of it as it comes in. If that makes any sense at all, and it's intentionally ambiguous. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's fair. And do you know what? I usually follow up when we finish off, but I might as well ask there: what is to come that you can talk about in 2022? Then for the debrief. Oh man, there there's always a lot. <laughs> there's always a lot, uh, both um, you know personally. Um, I've got. A lot of interesting stuff that that uh, people have heard me tease for in some instances over a year, and, and it goes back to what I said about this kind of moving process of putting out something that uh, is robust and and you know hopefully looks like those devices of unknown origin series that you mentioned. I'm very proud of those. Like that's the kind of stuff I really love putting out um, because it includes a lot of information, but it, it gives a, a lot of different perspectives and and gives a more personal view than just the straight news. Um, and so uh, I personally have a couple of things in the works that, that relate to, uh, you know, what's always what's going on with the Pentagon right now in the subject, but a little more specific to the actual activities and the new office, all of that good stuff uh, that would be more pertinent to that. Uh, I have teased it and it's still in the works. There's some stuff related to, uh, Russia's involvement with this topic and what are the, how are they looking at it? That type of thing. Um, so that's in the work, but we also, um, and I keep saying we, because we're, 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 we're going to be taking a lot of a team approach to some of these big stories coming up this year. So you'll see a lot of me and Micah and, and Chris Plain working together. And, uh, I think one thing that we've talked about, about increasing the, those, 
big feature stories and exciting stories, getting them out more frequently is uh, doing like most news organizations. If you check the byline, there's three or four reporters. Nobody reads the byline, but the writers anyway. Um, nobody cares who wrote it. But uh, we're, we're actually working on one right now that's uh, closer to home for those who are in the U.S. And I think uh, starts looking at and addressing this issue that um, something that I think it's, it's, it's kind of an unspoken, uh, it's, it's almost a self-evident fact, but we've heard so much about the Navy and about the military and Department of Defense, but obviously they're not the only federal agencies out there. They're obviously, these things aren't limited to military ranges. So what else is going on and, and are there other components looking at this as well? And so we're working on something there to tackle that. that, that uh, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about it. It should be very interesting. And, and one more thing I want to get to before we get to listener questions is you mentioned other countries outside of the US, Russia, international efforts. The last time we spoke, uh, ICER had just announced Project Titan. We touched on that. Paolo Gazzardi then came on the podcast, the Italian representative of ICER. What have you heard? What are you expecting this year in terms of other people getting on board potentially? You know, I haven't heard a lot so far yet. And, and I haven't really heard uh, whether San Marino tabled that and, and if it's something that they're going to revisit uh, at this upcoming or the next UN uh, meeting or whether or not that's something that they have just completely shelved and said they're not interested in. And if that's the case, uh, whether ICER is going to try to present that to another country or not. So I haven't heard anything there. That's kind of in limbo. Uh, you know, probably something that I need to, to follow up on with Paulo and some of those guys and see what uh, they're doing there. And so on the international front, it's, it's, it's been a little quiet, I'll be honest with you. But again, I think um, there's been a lot, especially in Europe and Eastern Europe right now, there's a lot of tensions and uh, geopolitical tensions and everything. And so it hasn't necessarily been, I mean, this goes into a lot of what we were talking about on the first half about how, how easy it is for governments to just say this right here is a much more pressing issue and there's much more potential for harm, damage, or good that can come out of this. Um, UFOs doesn't seem to be something that we consider. Maybe it's real. You know, maybe we have evidence it's real, but it's not something we consider a pressing issue. And so when there's a lot of stuff going on and I think, um, you know, unlike we saw last year, because the, you've got the pandemic still lingering on, you've got all these different geopolitical things. I think, uh, some of the international stuff, I at least haven't heard any kind of renewed, uh, any renewed real serious ventures that will be going on there. But I love being surprised. So, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I may be just as surprised as everybody else. That would be a welcome surprise or addition this year. Mm -hmm. Much needed, especially from a, a UK point of view. And again, if you are in the UK, check out uapmedia.uk, a group that I'm part of myself with some other guys I've talked about before. And we're trying to kind of push the conversation forward here and from a UK point of view, speaking to various journalists and whatnot as well. So folks, check that out. Tim, listener questions. We've got a good range of stuff here. Um, I tend not to go over them with the guests beforehand either, although we, we touched on one or two that had came up in the short break we had. Um, first off, I've got Jason from Los Angeles. Jason says, hi, fellas. Is there a video online of a UAP or alien, for example, Skinny Bob, that Tim finds most compelling or something you think everyone should look at? Um, this is a good question. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I can't say that I can think of any, uh, 
entities <laughs> videos that I've ever seen and been like, oh, wow, that's got to be real. So uh, I think uh, Skinny Bob's <laughs> Skinny Bob's fun, man. I hope Skinny Bob's real, but uh, I can't necessarily say there's there's any, I even have any anecdotal evidence that's real. I think the, in terms of videos, the, the one that always jumps out to me um, is the Nellis Range video that was filmed in the early 1990s. And, and we actually have that on, uh, it's one of, it's, it's one of, it may be the only UAP video that we have on our debrief uh, YouTube channel. And it is one that we have on there. That one's always been very interesting to me because it's, uh, you know, it's about 20 plus minutes of video and it's taken from two different, uh, it's taken by two different cameras and it's taken from two different time intervals. But I think, uh, you know, unlike we see with the, even like the Nimitz or the go fast videos, these types of things, those, those videos have much more compelling, uh, you know, eyewitness testimony because you have the, the pilots. And so in this instance, we don't have that, but, uh, that one's always been intriguing to me because on top of the fact that you can't really identify what the object is, it also appears it, it moves erratically that it doesn't move consistent with what we would see in the aerodynamics of, of normal aircraft or drones. And, uh, you know, because it was taken in the early 1990s, um, you know, we have to look at, you know, where, where's the state of drone technology in anyway, you know, there, there is potential that, uh, it, uh, some of the movements could look like a quadcopter because it moves parallel. You know, it, it kind of does these weird zigzagging, uh, patterns that we've heard people like Ryan Graves, uh, talk about with the Roosevelt incidences. But again, we're talking early nineties. So, you know, obviously there is drone technology that exists there, but even today, when you look at quadcopters, um, you know, there's very limited battery range. And so this video has taken over about an hour time frame. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that that's one of the ones, uh, it is one of the ones that unfortunately not a whole lot I, I've tried. There's not a whole lot I can get on it because of the time frame. And, and, you know, I did talk to some people who had worked on these recent events. So the, the 2004 to 2021, you know, the, the stuff that went into the preliminary report. And I asked, I have asked about that video and, uh, I was told it was not one of the ones that was investigated by a tip or the task force, anything like that. But I was told it is authentic. It is real. I was like, no, no, it's real. Uh, they didn't go past what made them say that they didn't say much more than that, but they said that it, it was real. And so, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one to me. And I think just because a lot of the stuff you see there um, doesn't look normal, <laughs> you know, it's not normal. I think uh, some of the some of the ones that have recently come out, but not made have, have not generated a lot of attention. And I won't say that they what you see in them is overly impressive. But uh, the video that was released a couple months ago, the, the rubber duck. One, um, you know, I think there was another A-10 Warthog, which wasn't, you know, I think that could be anything. Uh, that one's not nearly impressive, but I think where they are coming from are interesting to me. They're very, very interesting because there's uh, very little doubt in my mind that uh, those videos were captured by government sensor systems and, and, and National Guard aircraft, actually. I'm very familiar with the aircraft filming them in that type of systems up there. So the fact that that occurred, um, 
the fact of what they're recorded on are intriguing to me. Those, those are intriguing, but I won't say that what you're seeing in there, at least for me at a lot of times, uh, I don't see anything that's like earth shattering, but the fact that, that where they're coming from, the provenance of that, that that's intriguing to me. Luigi asks, now he says there's been a lot of fuss about drones and also the hypothesis of Havana syndrome potentially being caused by a foreign weapon. And he's looking for your thoughts on these. So for the first part, drones, like you mentioned, I think it's now the go-to, isn't it, for misidentification of, of flying saucers. But we say UFO, people mean aliens. We all know an unidentified flying object is just that. However, is it too easy, do you think, now for people without an interest in the subject that like to debunk or go straight to the prosaic to say drone? Is there anything you look for particularly within these videos? Like you've mentioned the the length of time that the object's there that can really be a, a cause for alarm. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I do think you, you're, you're absolutely right in terms of the idea that, uh, you know, drones can easily, drones are used to easily explain uh, a lot of times Um in the same way, you know, there's still very limited information, <laughs> you know, and uh, in essence, uh, I think a lot of times that it's dismissed as drones by some people for the same reason that others will see the same thing and go, it's it's aliens. There's no doubt in my mind because it's just it, it comports to whatever their pre-existing beliefs are where the real in truth here is. I don't know. We don't know because there are certainly, you know, in certain instances that uh, you can imagine that drones and what we know about drones that are in existence today don't match at least what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, what people are seeing uh, and the behaviors that they're noting a lot of these objects engage in, you know, including, like you mentioned, um, you know, if you look to the Roosevelt offense, um, they're talking about these being persistently airborne at, at you know, 10, 15, 20, 30,000 feet, 50,000 feet, um, for hours, you know, that was one of the things when I spoke to, to Ryan Graves, he said it, it appeared to them as if these objects could stay out there indefinitely if they wanted. And so that's not drones. I mean, even if we're talking about yeah, really, you know, we're talking about the MQ1 Reapers or Predator drones or something, they may have a significant flight time, but they're still working on a fuel source. And once that fuel source is exhausted, uh, that, you know, we're talking about a couple hours. Um, we're not talking about half a day, 24 hours. Um, you know, there, there are fixed wing aircraft that can do this, that kind of stuff, but they're basically more or less like a glider in a sense. So a lot of times they're switching off and on, uh, conserving fuel sources, but that's not what's being described here by these pilots. And so um, those, you know, again, you're, you're going to have to achieve aerodynamics. You're going to have to achieve flight by the same ways that we know how, whether it's achieve draft uh, or excuse me, lift and drag through means of uh, rotors like helicopters, you know, quadcopter, or whether it's going to be a fixed wing aircraft. And in these instances where we have something where, let's go back to the Nimitz incident, where you, you see a tic-tac with no control surfaces, well, that doesn't comport <laughs> by any means to any type of known direct technology. So I think it's easy to dismiss it there. A at the same time, I'm sure that there's, uh, there's certain times that people see lights in the sky that even might behave oddly. It probably are drones because, you know, 
they are unusual. You know, they, they have the ability to abruptly stop and, and go descend and ascend or move parallel. Uh, you know, I think that the, there's plenty of instances. Drones have both uh, created an, a, a situation where it can be lots of things can be easily dismissed without with very little effort by saying, oh, it's drones. All right, next, please. Uh, at the same time, it's led to probably an increase of misidentifications. And so... I would say, you know, in any of these instances, it, it all, the proof is in the pudding. And so how much effort has actually been put into that in determining what it is before you just dismiss it as a drone or say it's an alien spaceship. <laughs> but yeah, so a few weeks ago, uh, myself and the wife, kids bedtime, we were looking out the, the bedroom window and this light was flying at a decent speed across the across the distance. You could just see it because it was pitch black. And then it flew up into the air, stayed, and my wife was like, look at that. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, do you know what? Straight away, I was like, it's probably a drone. And then I worked out from over that direction. You've got the the fields and they've got a, a landmark called Northumberlandia. If anyone wants to look that mm-hmm. up, it was actually where the the lo- locally there were there's mines and all that kind of stuff and digging goes on. And essentially what they done was they put all the, the mounds of dirt on this big massive piece of land it looked horrendous and they paid a, an architect i believe he was from the u.s to design something and basically sculpt the land into this huge landmass called northumberlandia look it up people mm-hmm. that's staying there but essentially i said to my wife it's almost definitely someone out there with a drone they're letting it go high up it's flying off that's the distance it can go it's staying there and it's going back because it goes straight back over that direction and then goes down to the ground is there a 0.1% chance that was an alien spacecraft taking off and going back there? Yeah, but even me, who hosts a UFO podcast, is going, and I filmed it. There's no point mm-hmm. in the footage online, though. It's a drone. So, yeah, it's easy to go to that. Um, the other one, though, Tim, uh, it was mentioned by Luigi, was Havana Syndrome. Now, this is something that's still getting traction, even in the mainstream mm-hmm. media now, isn't it? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and actually... If we can go back for a second, because I'll tell you a funny, uh, or a yeah, funny an interesting drone story that, that I don't think I've ever shared um, is that, uh, you know, right when I got out and took early retirement from policing for over a little over a year, I worked for a private firm as an investigator and an intel analyst. And um, it, it, this is out of pure happenstance, too. Um, we had a client one time that uh, hired us and. and they hired me to investigate. They believed that they were being harassed by, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm going to be very sparing on details here just because there is a client uh, privilege and, and confidentiality, but uh, they, they believe they were being harassed by some individuals with drones. And so <laughs> we're getting into it and I'm like, okay, okay. And they're like, yeah, these things will be up for you know, hours at a time. They'll go up and down and up and down. And I was like, okay, <laughs> we're not talking about commercial drones here, you know. This is, and I doubt that that who they suspected would have military drone technology. And um, it, uh, on top of the fact that uh, that still didn't really match with what they were saying. And so it was interesting because I got to investigate. It's probably actually it's it's the only time in my lifetime that I have ever been a field UFO investigator. Um, and was paid for it. <laughs> I haven't even done it for free, but that I went out there and uh, I did stake out the place for a, a couple of nights and I ended up seeing one thing that I 
you know, I felt pretty confident was a drone, but it was fleeting and didn't last for very long. And, and, but it didn't do anything that didn't, that looked any different than somebody flying a drone up and, yeah. you know, playing with it. But, uh, that was, uh, I never did solve that one, but certainly the, the kind of stuff that they were describing that they were seeing or the harassment they were experiencing, um, it would not <laughs> fit, uh, any drones that I'm aware of. And, and so, there's one of these interesting ones where I think uh, we talk about the, it's easy to dismiss UFOs as drones. I, I, I can't help but wonder how many times stuff that may be legitimately interesting are also dismissed as drones by people seeing it. You know? And so it's very easy to dismiss possibly some really interesting stuff by taking the prosaic, uh, I guess, the easy way out, the quick way out without ever looking into it. Same as CGI. I think I've even said that before in the past. That of all the videos online that you go, that's that's fake, that's nonsense, that looks like this, X, Y, and Z. There's probably at least that one out there that right. is that too good to be true? That can't right. be real. And like you say, maybe it is the skinny bob video. Skinny bob, I was just thinking. Yeah. Maybe the skinny but bob. I, I'm I'm told there's a, a Russian guy who does like kind of hoax videos who has an exact same fit and style to the skinny bob type footage and people have said actually it's more than likely this guy that's done it and i never looked into it um but like the the turkey ufo video that floats about it's a really popular one mm -hmm. with a handheld camera zooming in and out again looks too good to be true i've never seen it debunked but that's it it's, it's you don't know what 100 genuine looks like do you so it's hard to say <laughs> right but that's yeah. that's the real one Right. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, that's what we, you know, it's a mystery. And so you're right. I think that that's a, it's a very good point in that, uh, it, it's too good to be true, but you're like, what is true? So, so yeah, that would be, you know, does the potential exist out there? Some of these ones that we've seen that have been dismissed easily. Is it something, is it something really interesting? I think that's why these DOD videos took, got so much traction because we accepted that these weren't going to be cgi that type of thing but yeah so who knows yeah L luigi's other point time was on havana mm. syndrome and this is again one mm. that's kept traction within the mainstream media you still hear it talked about uh, mm -hmm. again as being a potentially a foreign adversarial weapon what are your thoughts on havana syndrome and why is it still persisting as a story sure yeah no i think uh and it uh it is actually a story that i have have been working on for for some time Still. And uh, I'll say that I, I think there's there's definitely some validity in the claims that people have made. I think that the people who were received injuries and uh, these a lot of these reports of the Havana syndrome, I, I think that they're valid. I think that they have been injured. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, it's not necessarily So first of all, uh, you know, my personal thoughts and, and I haven't looked at it for now, about a year since they started really digging into it, um, is, uh, the idea that it's an anti-personnel weapon, meaning that a foreign adversary is actually intentionally zapping uh, people at us embassies, that type of thing. I don't think that that's going on. I do, however, believe that, uh, you very likely have, uh, some type of device, uh, which, you know, could potentially be an airborne device. You know, it's hard how it's being done, but uh, the flooding of EM radiation, the flooding of electromagnetic radiation for signals intelligence and this type of stuff. This is, um, 
this is not crazy talk. <laughs> and we know that it can happen. We know that it goes on. Uh, you know, I mentioned this in an article I wrote for the Washington Examiner, not in the same context as the Havana syndrome, but I brought up Project Gunman from the early late 1970s, early 1980s, um, where Russia was doing this at the U.S. Embassy in Russia or the Soviet Union. And uh, I mean, this is exactly what they were doing. They were flooding uh, radiation EM frequencies in. This was a, a supply chain attack, they believe, or at least it's never been disclosed. But uh, essentially, the Soviet Union's uh, in the KGB had successfully uh, implanted receivers into the typewriters uh, that the embassy was using. And so they had them inside of there, very, very sophisticated. And so they flood them with uh, EM frequency signals and everything. And they're able to uh, extract. And in this case, they were able to, to see everything that was being typed. And so it sounds very much like you've got somebody that this is not intentionally like they're targeting people, but rather it's a byproduct of a electronic or signals collection process that's going on. So they're flooding this with, with different microwaves or different frequencies in order to extrapolate intel electronic intelligence data from it. But as a byproduct of that, it uh, can cause harm and it's causing harm to people. I think, um, I legitimately, I think that there's, uh, there's, a, there's something to that. I, I know that uh, the CIA came out with uh, one report just recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, saying that there was no evidence it was a foreign adversary or this type of thing, or there was a foreign actor that was responsible in that type of thing. I, I you know, I'm not necessarily surprised. Well, let me put, that is a surprising conclusion. I'm not necessarily surprised that they put that out there, uh, mainly because you're you you'll see a lot of conflict inside the intelligence agencies as it is. You'll see a lot of conflicting. Um, you know, differences of opinion. And moreover, there's a lot of things when they come public like that and they're put out in these public statements, they can be politically motivated as well. And so um, I don't know if that's necessarily accurate <laughs> into what they believe. And I think uh, that actual assessment that was reported on, that has not been made public. And I, I told people, I'd like to read that assessment I'd like to see what language they used rather than, I think in that one, this was a, a source conveying what this report said to a reporter, I believe with the New York Times. And so it's kind of like the telephone game. You can convey whatever you want to convey, but I'm not sure that that's exactly what that report said. But I think it's, uh, I think there's definitely something legitimately to that idea. I am delighted to welcome a new sponsor to the podcast, VinoVest. As you all know, I've got a young family and I'm always looking at ways I can save and invest for the future. Fine wine has long been a cornerstone of wealth generation and preservation. The problem? Historically, it's been reserved for the ultra-wealthy. VinoVest is changing that. VinoVest is a platform allowing investors to own 100% of their portfolio and easily buy, sell or drink from their collection of fine wines. After missing out on all those next big things to invest in, I'm always looking for what is the next big player in the industry. I was amazed at how easy it was to get started in diversifying your investment portfolio. Wine has one third the volatility of the stock market and has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualised returns, proving that the returns can be as robust as your favourite red. 
Vinovest makes it easy to acquire new investments, equip with a team of world-class sommeliers who evaluate wine and determine which ones will gain value over time. You own the wines in your portfolio outright. You can buy, sell and even drink them whenever you want. Enjoy historical returns, direct ownership of world-class wines, portfolio diversity and robust recession resistance. Go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod zero. That's the number zero. The link is also in the description to receive two months of fee free investing. That's two months of fee free investing. It's time to start investing with Vinovest today. No, thanks for that. Good answer. Uh, it's interesting mm. as well. Like you say, it's a byproduct and it's a little bit like saying the UAPs aren't necessarily a deliberate threat, but maybe just their, the proximity, you know, the timing. There's a threat to us, but not a sure. deliberate one potentially. So yeah, interesting. Um, John has a couple of questions. He asks, have any of your sources changed in tone? Um, did some who previously dismissed the subject now take it seriously or, or the opposite? Mm, um. Not the opposite in terms of uh, there's nobody that I've talked to who has been working on this or was working on this who has since taken the tone that they're like, yeah, this is BS. I'm throwing my hands up type deal. Um, I mean, I, there's there, <laughs> there's a significant number of those same people and others that I speak to who are the exact opposite end of the spectrum who come from all sorts of different backgrounds in government, whether it's intelligence, uh, special operations, that type of thing, who um, it's extremely common for them to kind of say, look, man, this is not something I'm like, I used to make fun of people for this and everything until, you know, this stuff started coming out. They started seeing stuff on, uh, you know, like our space, which um, I think was mentioned by Louis, Louis Elizondo not too long ago in a podcast. I got a chuckle out, which is kind of this um, classified discord server in the IC, for lack of a better term. And so there's a lot of discussion that goes on in there. And so, you know, they've said once they started seeing some of the things in there or they started seeing some of the issue papers or the the Intel reports that were being placed uh, for dissemination, then suddenly they're like, holy crap. And then while simultaneously coming from that world and kind of recognizing either things that they can't tell me uh, due to classification or just the mere fact that there's a lot of, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen when you put out an issue paper or you put out an intelligence report. These aren't just, this isn't just Tim one day, he, uh, you know, he just watched ancient aliens. And so he's going to write this paper out and share his beliefs and share this amongst uh, the entire intelligence community. That's not how it works. So there's a lot of things that go into it that have to have it approved. And so they realize that when you're seeing a topic like UAP pass through all of these different bureaucratic layers, there's something to this. (laughs) Like there's something to this. There's something of significance to it. So I would say it's definitely more the first that uh, there's there's a lot of people, a lot of people, the majority of them who who have said that within the last couple of years, this is not something they took seriously until the last couple of years, but, but based on what they've seen or heard and what they know about the entire process, they're like, there's something to this. <laughs> you know, this is not BS. John also wanted to know something you mentioned way back on, on the first interview we done was the department of energy. You've mentioned them again on this podcast. Uh, they seem like the best place to 
potentially or one of the best places to hide something. And you were quite right, I believe you said, you know, given the technologies we're talking about, why wouldn't the Department of Energy be interested in what may be an unlimited energy supply or energy source? Um, is that something you've done any more digging into? You know, not the, the easy answer there is no, simply because it's a it's a difficult one to dig. You know, there's this one thing that you you, everybody has limitations. And, you know, I think when I, I discussed the, the DOE the first time, the Department of Energy is by far the most secretive of all the government agencies. In fact, they possess their own level of classification. And so you, know, you uh, I've given this analogy, but it is completely accurate that you could have a, a top sec secret SEI level clearance and you are involved in the bin Laden raid, but you're not walking in a DOE building. <laughs> You know, that doesn't that, that doesn't match to a hill of beans for them. And so it's a complete, completely separate uh, organization, very compartmentalized, very secluded uh, for obvious reasons. I mean, they are the ones who control the nukes. Uh, and so it's not easy to get any information out of them. <laughs> you know, this is not one that uh, you know. It, there's it's it's not as big as somewhere like the DOD. So the likelihood is harder. And um even if something like that was going on, so inside of an already extremely compartmentalized agency, you would have have you would have that even more subcompartmentalized, and so you're narrowing it down really small scope. So that's a difficult nut to crack. Um, the DOE is the only one, which I, I kind of get a, a chuckle out that that's the only agency I've ever had that I submitted a FOIA to about UAP or wanting to know. Basically, I was looking for. Um, even from their law enforcement side. So uh, security forces reports, like have they ever seen UF, UAP near their facilities and everything? And they're the, they're the only ones that I've ever had call me and say, why did you send this to us? <laughs> and I'm like, well, because I was like, there's people have written books about nukes and UFOs. I was like, this is, you know, this is extremely talked about question. And um, it was an, it was an interesting conversation because they wanted to know, why I would, why I would ask them. And then, um, they were, uh, they even tried to, to talk me and to convince me into letting them forward it to the DOD and not to them. I'm like, no, no, just check you guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So does that mean anything? No, probably not. Probably just a FOIA officer who didn't want to deal with it. But, you know, I did, I did get a chuckle out of the fact that they were very, they were hypersensitive to why the heck was I sending them ufo request it's still that's still very interesting response because you would expect just a no but someone to ask that but like you say it's likely as just someone like why have you bothered sending us to us like mm -hmm. but but who knows um and it and it came back with no response if anybody's curious like they said they couldn't find anything after all of that so but you've done the digging if you don't ask you don't get um you 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 get and you're right and you get weird things sometimes I have, I I've had weird ex incidences with FOIA officers that that even seemed like they wanted to talk to me more. Uh, you know, down to the fact of saying, you know, if I reach out to you this email some other time, would that be okay? Type deal, and then never hear back from them. And in one instance, I reached back and was like, "Hey, you, you mentioned." <laughs> You might. And they were like, no, you must be mistaken. And I was like, uh, oh, okay. 
because I definitely wasn't mistaken. But but you deal with weird stuff like that. That's why that's why I intermix the FOIA process as just a tool. I don't think it's an end game result. Not not to need too much detail, but can you say what you were FOIA FOIAing on those occasions? It had to do with the Air Force. It had to do with UFOs, and it had to do with the Air Force. I mean, this has been a couple of years ago, so I don't remember specifically per se. But this was a, a FOIA officer who I uh, established a pretty good rapport with because I was, you know, joking with them about the fact that I'm, I'm certain they get lots of uh, interesting requests, shall we say. Yeah. And, you know, they were kind of saying, oh, yeah, you know, we get stuff about the Secret Space Force. And we're like, I don't have anything. And if I did, you just called it the Secret Space Force. It'd be secret. Um, and so, yeah, they I can't remember specifically what it was and whether it may have related towards the time when that whole raid area 51 thing was going on. Right, so yeah. it was towards that. But yeah, they, they just said, you know, if I, uh, would it be all right if I email you something um, or if I reach back out to you by this email and, and discuss something with you or, or mention something to you? And I was like, sure. Yeah. What we got. And then, yeah, after like a week or two, I, I I called him back and said, "Hey, you, I was just standing by on the email for me." And um, they were like, "I that was a the, you must no." They said, "No, you must be mistaken." I'm like, uh, "Okay, <laughs> you know, definitely wasn't mistaken." But I I don't whatever they alluded to was not specific to whatever my request was. I'll say that much. Maybe so, one day that uh, mailbox will ping <laughs> unexpectedly, and it'll be like, "Actually, I'm ready for that." chat right yeah yeah that's it was you know again so now i'm just putting on my investigator hat and inferring something it, it sounded like they had come across interesting stuff related to uh related at least tangibly or some way mm -hmm. shape or form to the ufo topic but not specific to what i was requesting and so it was more gonna be one of these things where it's like hey you know if you requested this <laughs> if you worded it this way and ask for this instead of this yeah, then you, you would probably get that and um and uh yeah and, and in fact no i remember what it was i remember what it was now it, it related to i was looking for the uh area 51 out there so the nellis range security forces reports related to um Greenpeace. Greenpeace years ago, Greenpeace did a protest where they <laughs> walked into Nellis Range and they walked all the way <laughs> into Area 51. Significant point. Uh, I think they even, uh, it's been a while back, uh, but I, I think they let them walk for days in my mind. Wow. I'm thinking this, it's such a huge place. People don't understand <laughs> until they rounded them up. And so <laughs> you could walk for days before you see anything. But I was just really interested in it because um, they had gone through, they were close near where the whole, uh, S4 Bob Lazar supposed UFOs inside the mountain was. And so I was trying to be like, okay, is there any security forces reports on this? And, um, I think, uh, I think I'd even try to talk to Greenpeace as well. I'd be like, Hey, anybody remember any, <laughs> any garage door hangers in the mountain out there? Anything? So it was really, uh, I think this goes back into the an article I did, a long one on Bob Lazar that went out with Vice. That's what it was about. But yeah, whatever whatever the individual was kind of hinting at, that's where it stemmed from. It was it started from that, but they uh, 
I really don't think it was related specifically to that per se, because we were more talking about UFOs in general and interest in it. But yeah, you're right. Hopefully, if you're listening out there, here I am, man. Thedebrief.org. My email's on there. And you can CC CC me (laughs) in as well. (laughs) Right. We'll we'll set up another. See, that'll be, everybody will know the fourth time I'm on, we'll have big, we'll just do the big reveal here. Yeah, that'll be it. And we'll have someone from Greenpeace (laughs) on to represent as well. Um, Shifting tone a little bit. uh, Shane wants to know, now, I think one of the buzzwords of 2021 was cataclysm. Uh, You may have seen this in various interviews. Ross Coulthart, Michael Masters, Frank Milburn, John Ramirez have all been asked about it ad nauseum, probably. Uh, Can you give us any insight into any talk or news you've heard on cataclysmic events? Um, It may be something you've come across, it may not. No, I mean, I, I haven't <laughs> not. No, I can't tell you, but no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't heard anything like that. And um, again, I, that's not to dismiss and say that it's there's not a cataclysm coming. Uh, you know, let's hope not. But, you know, uh, but at the same time, I haven't heard anything like that. And um, both pro or con. And a lot of it comes from, a, you know, um, People like like Ross. Like I have a lot of respect for Ross. I like Ross a lot. Um, but everybody you just mentioned, Ross and everybody, we all kind of run in different circles. If that makes sense, like I, I stick a lot. You know, my lane is is very closely aligned inside the the Pentagon and DoD lane, and doesn't expand out there as much. Um, and, and into the areas that I know that Ross has really looked into. You know, I've always been pretty open with the fact that. Uh, the idea of crash recoveries and materials and stuff is not a, that's not an avenue that I have gone down with any seriousness, uh, not because I totally dismiss it, but, but just because it's, uh, I'm focused on this right now, rather than keep going down that rabbit hole. And we have yeah. people like Ross that are doing it. So yeah, sorry. I don't, I don't know. I, I'll be just as uh, excited as everybody else and shocked if the cataclysm comes. <laughs> Well, again, it's like you say, though, you don't you don't want one to. And <laughs> it's it's very hard to, to prove anyone right until we have some kind of predicted cataclysmic event, some huge super volcano eruption or, you know, some awful event that someone can go, yep, that was the one. Until then, it's always going to be the Anjali. Actually, the beings decided not this month. <laughs> I heard, yeah. I heard that that didn't that didn't go through. And yeah. And I mean, this is not to down anybody by any means. Uh, this is just me out of personal preference is I, I try to steer, I steer clear of a lot of that stuff simply because at least from the outside, it, it, uh, it smacks a lot of mythology and there's more of a religiosity in it. And, and that's, again, I'm not down anybody's religion. I'm not saying, uh, that, that, uh, that is just myth and maybe there is a cataclysm, but, uh, you know, if you look in terms of, uh, religious behaviors uh, last 2000 years, this idea of a cataclysm coming, the savior, you know, some people transmit that onto this, the aliens, you know, for, for Christians, it's Jesus, you know, that it gets into a realm that's just not my, it's just not my forte. It's not where my area of expertise is at. And, and it's and, interpretation too, like cataclysm, Armageddon, the end of something, it's just the beginning of something new and all the stuff with the Mayan calendars. And, you know, it's the end of this, it was the end of a cycle and it just gets to, and there's always an excuse. And that's, I, like you say, it's not to downplay it. Maybe there was some horrendous event adverted, in which case we've got some ethereal beings to thank for that. Amazing. But 
Yes. Let's hope it just never comes <laughs> true because it's not one we want to. I would recommend everybody live their life and enjoy it. You know, that's all I'll say on that is that it's kind of like uh, in America, they used to have a show called Doomsday Preppers where these people, you know, they yeah. go bunker. Like they spent a lot. And some of these people spent tons of money. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. I saw some of those. Hundreds. Yep. And I remember feeling bad. I'm like, man, spend the money, go to Disney World or something. Like, what are you going to do if you live your entire life and die and the, the cataclysm doesn't come and you're like, got to, you know. I've got all these MREs and everything. So it's one of these things that I think being prepared, I mean, I'm, I'm originally from the southern, southeast coast of Georgia, right there on the beach. I've gone through several hurricanes. I, I know. So being prepared is, is one thing. But yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think people can, can get in trouble and um, it, it, it just cannot live a fulfilled life if you're, if you're kind of anticipating the end or cataclysm of something every day. Not saying that that's what's going on with what you mentioned, but that would be my advice for anybody out here is, uh, you know, don't don't live every day waiting for the cataclysm. Yeah, two thousand boxes of Twinkies and ten thousand <laughs> gallons of water is a lot a lot to store. Um, but again, if that's if that's what you're into, that more power to you. Right. Um, a couple of questions then, you, you, more controversial, uh, and we'll touch on them. Strafe wanted to know, and we always like to give a balanced approach. Um, can you follow up on some of the Dr. Stephen Greer financials you tweeted about last year? Sure. Um, I mean, there's not much follow up I can give on them other than what I shared. And uh, I really haven't spent significant amount of time with Stephen Greer. I don't pay attention to Stephen Greer <laughs> very much. Um, and, and so... It's not somebody that I've really considered to be credible. Not, you know, I say that with love here because I know that he has a, a large and passionate fan base. Uh, he did block me on Twitter, I, I, maybe because of those financials. But uh, I think a lot of people asked me about that. And, um, you know, there were certain aspects of, of his business model and everything that I think uh, I question. <laughs> And I think with those tax forms, that was, uh, those are all open public record. They, he, for a point in time, was running a, um, a, a uh, nonprofit organization. So his C said he was a nonprofit. So you have to report all of that stuff. And uh, I have never had the opportunity to ask him, but there were, there were things in those financials that I think legitimately people would be okay in asking. And, and especially asking before they spent, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars, whatever it is, to go on a retreat or one of these things, uh, you know, with those financials revealed is that stuff like being paid a salary as the director of CSETI, but then also paying a management firm to run CSETI, but the management firm was solely owned by him. I mean, they, these are, <laughs> you know, we're shifting. I, I, I've founded and ran two different nonprofits years ago. So there's certain things that you know. And you're supposed to have a board of directors. There's certain things you know that aren't uh, that, that as a nonprofit, you're not supposed to be doing or you're not supposed to be running it for the idea of making a profit. Now, that actual nonprofit is defunct. He, whatever his companies are now is a profit business. And so therefore, any way he wants to go about it, more power to him. But that was the basis behind putting those uh, financials out as people, uh, especially during that time, were, were often asking me why I didn't uh, put a lot of credit and credibility into Stephen Greer. And I, I just said, there's stuff that I think raises questions to me that haven't been adequately answered. We can start with these financial records right here. 
And so, you know, if you're kind of playing a shell game with Peter and Paul to pay Mary uh, in, in terms of putting extra money in your pocket, I'm going to kind of question that when you're talking about, you know, summoning down incorporeal or, or non-human entities. Um, and that's something that you're charging people for. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, does he have a copyright on the aliens? Like why, <laughs> you know, like if, if if I knew how to 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 bring aliens about, this is not something I would be charging ten dollars for, or a thousand. Or, or actually, what you would do is get a live camera crew, go to the White House, and I'm sure there are plenty of news stations would go on live. And you know what? We're going to summon some objects over the White House, and overnight you are multi 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 millionaire the most famous man on the planet in the same way i've always said that um i would convert to scientology if tom cruise could prove to me that he can levitate (laughs) which apparently is what he can do at the level he's at and i saw an interview where he claimed that once but he never has so until then uh and and for people who, who reach out like i would happily interview dr stephen greer um i have reached out directly and indirectly and nothing so but that's it. He doesn't owe me an interview, so there you go. Yeah. Um, but no, that's that's a fair answer, uh, Tim. And on the same on the same breath, uh, ET UFO disclosure wanted to know why won't Tim answer the question about ETs living and walking amongst us? Well, okay, uh, because clearly I am a part of the cover up. <laughs> no, um, it, the honest answer there is because that I've never. Uh, I have never seen nor been presented with any type of uh, legitimate, irrefutable evidence to suggest ETs are walking amongst us. I, I understand there are a number of people out there who believe that they could be. They believe through personal experience. Great. Uh, that is just not something I do not have that same personal experience, nor has that information ever been shared with me in a manner that I'm like, okay, well, this is consistent with the rules of evidence and this, this is legitimate. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, um, it's a lot of putting the cart before the horse too. And, and I think maybe people get frustrated with me cause I'm like, look, I'm trying to dig into why is the department of defense taking this seriously and how are they taking it seriously and what are they seeing and, and what are their interpretations of that? And then I think sometimes people get mad cause they're like, well, why aren't you investigating the, the skinwalker ranch or why aren't you investigating, uh, you know, all of these things that are alien abductions. And I'm like, I'm just not there yet. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out why they're taking this seriously. I'm not at that same level. Let let me ask him what what do you think when you see Bob Bigelow on his famous sixty minutes appearance uh, say that aliens are right under our nose, and right. he knows that for a fact. And that's quite a big personality to sit on a very serious show uh, and make that sort of claim. Does that? Well, it's not something you want to look into yourself. Does it make you think maybe there is something more to it? No, <laughs> and that's no disrespect to Bob Bigelow, or it's no disrespect to anybody. The reason I say no, and uh, you know, anybody that I've interviewed, and especially anybody that I've really went in depth interviews, profiled, let's say, uh, Lou Elizondo would be a good example of somebody I've profiled, where I spent years conversing with, off and on, uh, and, and probing and asking all sorts of questions and everything, is that um, a lot of that, you know, comes from why. You know, why does Bob Bigelow say that? You know, does that come from he has been provided information 
concrete evidence, uh, you know, irrefutable evidence you know, that he knows this for a fact, or is that a belief? Is that a belief based on uh, his interpretation of other evidence, his interpretation of things that he's seen? That you know, it goes back into even what we were talking about uh, at the first part of the show when we talked about how uh, Chris Mellon uh, has been quoted in saying that you know the idea that this that UFOs could be aliens is, is a real possibility, whereas Lou Elizondo has mentioned things that maybe are, are stranger to some, you know, interdimensionals, this type of thing. You know, and, and I my answer to that was I think that's an interpretation by each individual. And so with Bob Bigelow saying that, is it an interpretation? And I think that it's very easy for people in any field, doesn't matter if it's UFOs, it can be sports, to take personalities or take people because they're very successful, whether they're a billionaire like Robert Bigelow or whether they've had successful years in the intelligence community, whether they're, you know, former defense ministers, you name it, they've had these credentials and then, uh, me that translate that into meaning that they, therefore everything that they say or their beliefs or their interpretations of things are therefore correct and, and therefore accurate. That's not necessarily true, you know, and that's you know, a lot of it. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the Israeli uh, space rocket scientists. What was it last year? I think that came out talking about the secret space alliance. I think and bases on the Mars and everything. Yeah. And because of who he is, <laughs> you hear that and you go, "Holy cow!" But then. Once, uh, you know, the once that same reporter was spoken with and once there was a lot of follow up there, you start to realize, OK, he's saying that from his interpretation of film, you know, TV shows that he's watched, books that he's read, that is all the same you and I could read. Um, this does not come from anything official in his official capacity, but because of who he is, it, it obviously makes him stunning. You know, you know whoa. So, yeah, I, you know, that's. Certainly because Bob Bigelow has invested a significant amount of time and effort and money into this subject, does his, does the fact that that is his belief system, does the fact that, uh, you know, that's where he leans into it hold more weight? Well, yeah, it holds more than you or me because we haven't. So I think in that regards, yes, but I think it should, I, I don't think anyone should ever be made feel bad for saying, okay, but why do you believe that? you know, asking why. And so for that one, it wouldn't change my opinion simply because of that part of uh, why do you believe that has never, I've never heard that answered yet, but I don't dismiss it. You know, that's the thing. It's I'm agnostic to it. No, fair, fair point. I've got two more questions, Tim. You've been really good with your time today. Um, first up from Gary, uh, the baffling nature of this topic has been pretty consistent. It seems to be toying with us. Do you think the confusion, elusiveness and lack of solid proof are somehow a built in aspect of this phenomenon? Oh, man, that's a lot. Of, what if I just said yes? Gary, you have figured it out. You're a... Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, the honest answer is I don't know. But am I going to say that what Gary's saying there is is, is wrong, crazy, or, or any of that stuff that maybe people criticize it with? No. And I think it's okay what he's asking. I think that it's also okay to say I don't know and, and not easily dismiss that because we don't know. And there are obviously a lot of aspects about this phenomenon. There's a lot of aspects about a lot of life that is weird. 
it's bizarre. We don't understand. And so, um, you know, we, we look at that and wonder, is this something that is toying with us for reasons we don't know? Perhaps, uh, you know, there, there's at least if we looked at, uh, you know, the abductive information that we have, not abductions, but rather the, the evidence that was known to us, you know, we can infer that some things that, uh, it's not something that wants to blatantly be known to the wider world or greater public. There's certainly people who believe that they have been contacted or hand contact. Maybe they have. They, nobody's contacted me. And so I'm falling into that greater public category that's, that's uh, unknown. And so clearly, if that's all accurate, there's one would assume there's a method to the madness behind it. But, but it, is a, it is a topic where I've heard people talk about the trickster and that type of thing where I can certainly see why that interpretation comes out. I can certainly see that because I, I see it not just in the events, but, but like everything that has to do with this topic, it's very paranormal and that nobody acts normally. <laughs> you know, the DOD doesn't act yeah. normally people. It just, it gets weird. <laughs> If, if that's something you're interested in for me and you're listening to this right now, then Kurt Jaimungo on Theories of Everything just yesterday hosted Dr. Com Kelleher and George Knapp talking about their Skinwalkers at the Pentagon book and more. And it's a really balanced, reasoned approach. It's not totally biased because Kurt uh, asked those questions from very much a place of curiosity, which he should as an interviewer. Uh, and it's well worth looking into. And of course, my own interview with George and uh, Colm as well, which is, is pretty good, I, sh I should say. Um, and lastly, Tim, I'm going to touch on something that gets asked by loads of people whenever I speak to you. Uh, you'll be sick of talking about it. And we did talk about it on the last podcast uh, from Tim, Tim, longtime listener and supporter of the podcast, uh, Tim Staley. Uh, triangle emerging from the Ocean Day 2022 question mark. Has there been any change? Now, I am I right in remembering, Tim, because someone did ask, you have not seen this alleged picture slash video yourself, but you have spoken to individuals who have seen the apparent uh, triangle emerging from the ocean. Allegedly, yes. <laughs> um, you know, that's always been one I've been cagey on for, for, yeah. for, good, for good reason. Uh, maybe I have... <laughs> I know that this image exists, <laughs> and uh, in, and so maybe I have spoken to people, maybe I have, but I haven't seen it. So there you go. But uh, has there been any change in it? No. Um, I will say that uh, all information and anything surrounding that image went totally dark after I published that article. And so that was... Uh, that was certainly an area that uh, struck a nerve with a lot of people. <laughs> Are you saying you're, you're to blame for us not getting the, the famed photo? <laughs> no, I don't think, uh, no, no, I don't think that was ever anything that was going to be released anytime soon by any means. It wasn't my fault that it wasn't released. Rather, uh, it, it, probably even the information that of its existence was something that was not supposed to be released. And well, so... That's an answer I expected, Tim. Let me follow up then with, do you think or expect we've got a, a good chance of seeing some new footage or, or images this year like we've had over the last couple of years? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Not the triangle. I wouldn't anticipate that coming sure. out. But uh, I think we could see some new footage come out maybe. I think it could could. Uh, I don't know whether it'll be from the. I think with the same level of quality as the DoD, I don't. I'm not certain that it uh, necessarily will be the DoD. 
Um, and uh, that that's perhaps a slight hint that I mentioned earlier that I, you know we were working on some stuff with the different government agencies that, that exist out there that also have different uh, ISR capabilities who are in the air. And so, you know, they could have captured some stuff that, that has the same level of provenance as those Navy pilot videos. Perhaps that could come out. That would be cool. That would be neat. Um, we'll see. Uh, I don't anticipate. I, I Well, let me backtrack. I don't have any evidence to suggest that the DOD is preparing to release anything new. But just as we just mentioned this topic is paranormal and that nothing acts normally. We could get off of this interview. By the time you air this interview, uh, the the treasure trove, the keys, the the crown jewels could be unveiled. The DOD has just dumped it all online and said, here you go. With the, They could change the, the triangle emerging from the water as their official seal for the DOD. And, oh, yeah, that's just how this topic goes. Uh, so I don't anticipate it, but... Uh, We'll see. We'll see. I, I didn't. I didn't anticipate the the legislation that was coming up uh, that that just passed this past year. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where, where the pressure's at. Um, you never know. But I just know that since a lot of the chatter, since a lot of the reporting and everything, uh, the DoD has tried to clamp down on that as much as possible and keep that in house. So it makes it a lot more difficult for people like me or other reporters to really get anything out of. It's not as easy. It used to be the wild, wild west when I first started reporting on this a couple of years ago. Now it's not as easy anymore. Well, listen, it might not be certain, but I know one thing is for certain that this year there'll be plenty of quality content coming out from yourself and the debrief, Tim. How can people find you? How can they follow your work? How can they find the debrief? Sure, yeah. Uh, debrief, uh, you can check us out with daily content uh, at thedebrief.org. So feel free to drop by. Like I said, there, there's stuff that we have coming out constantly that if, even if it isn't about UFOs, like we, we try to do really quality content when it, when it comes to there, but we also cover science and tech. And I tell people, not only is it really cool and cutting edge science and tech stuff, but uh, we cover stuff that I think even if you're just interested in UFOs, you walk away a more informed on the subject because we're reporting on the cutting edges of science. What's the latest uh, science technology developments? Well, what is what is the status of metamaterials, hypersonics, aerospace? So you have an idea of where we're at, you know, in reality. And so that's a good baseline in comparing what people report and what they report seeing. You can say, well, there's no way because we're, you know, there's no way that, uh, this hyper, this something that's that's maintaining hypersonic speed consistently can be a secret aircraft because we don't even have the material science to do that. And I know that because the duty brief told me in X, Y, and Z. So uh, feel free to check that out. Daily content uh, at thedebrief.org, or I'm on Twitter at LT Tim McMillan, M C M I L L A N. Um, you can find me on there sporadically. Usually, I like to. Get, go on there and get in a good Twitter feud or not when I'm bored, have a couple beers. So, you know, what social media is intent for? And all those links will be available in the description <laughs> for this podcast as well. So, Tim, as always, good talking to you. And I look forward to the next time. Hopefully it's not too long. No, no, absolutely. And it's always a pleasure, man.
That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself, and I climbed out the window after the elf, and I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was red, and I called up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should take care of me, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me. Consider your heart, consider time, consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life.